are continuing in our series on the Apostles' Creed, learning to live into what those statements mean for us in life. Today, I actually had to go for a few pieces of scripture. So we're going to read a good amount of scripture today to start us off because we are looking at the statement that Jesus ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And those are a lot of statements, all in one, but it's really one clause in the creed. So that's why we're looking at it all together. So we're going to look at four pieces of scripture all from the New Testament. If you would like to read along, you can do so on the screen, in your Bible, or on your bulletin. Here's what 2 Timothy 4.1 says to us. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. John 5.22-23, Jesus actually says these words. He says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Then in Romans 8, 14 through 17, we're told, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And then in Hebrews 2, 5 through 13, we see a statement about how us as children of God can stand in the face of God. Scripture tells us it is not to angels that he had subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them all lower than the angels, you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. We do, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through all things everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered." Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. There's this thing that happens when you are in relationship with others. There's this thing that happens when you are in relationship with a spouse, with your sisters sometimes, or your brothers. This thing that happens when you are in relationship with coworkers. There's this thing that happens when you are in relationship with random people on social media. It's a thing called arguments. Ever heard of them? 
ever been in an argument before? I have to admit, hesitantly, that there have been a few times that Joe and I have argued. Go figure. Just a few, not a million. We've had our fair share of marital squabbles. We've had our fair share of knockdown dragouts. Not really knock. I shouldn't say that. We've had our fair share of difficult discussions. Is that better? That's better. And I have to say that I need to stand here before you and say, hi, my name is Alyssa, and I'm a recovering know-it-all. Because it would be fair to say that in my life, especially my married life, Joe and I celebrated our 20th anniversary just a few weeks ago, and over those years that we've been together, a good majority of them, I have made sure that it was known that in every argument we had, and I mean every argument, I was right. <laughs> Not only was I right, but I also had to have the last word in our arguments. In fact, there was one time where Joe and I were discussing something, and in this discussion, there was a point where I realized in my head that long ago, we had decided everything that had gone wrong, we had agreed on everything that had gone wrong, yet I was still continuing the conversation. You ever do that? And I realized that it was me sitting there making sure that Joe was very clear on everything that he had done wrong so that it would never happen again, so that I had the final word. You see, when we get that final word, when we get that last word, we think that our word stands. We think that our word is the one that rules. We think that we end up being right simply because we've had the last word in the argument. I see this same type of behavior happening all over the world, right? It doesn't just happen in marriage relationships. It happens in my parenting, too. Oh, God, forgive me. Ask my children. I wish they were here today. We're having car issues. But if they were here today, you could go up to any one of them and say, has your mother apologized to you for being a turd? And they would say, yes, she has. Because I have learned of my need to have this last word, which is not healthy. And so when I see that I do that with Joe or with my kids, now as a recovering know-it-all, I am learning to let the Spirit show me when I've been not so nice, when I've taken that privilege a little too far. And I work my hardest to bring some reconciliation into that. I've also disconnected from social media for a number of reasons, but one of them is because what I see on social media is not people really sharing joy and happiness. What I see is people trying to have the last word about something. Whether it's politics or religion or the way people dress at certain places, the way people talk, the way people act. What I see is not people being light bearers of Christ, images of God in this world. What I see is regular humans that I love, people whom I adore, creating division in the world. Because what they know is right, what they know is true, and what they believe is something you should believe also. That's what we're trying to do when we're trying to get that last word. When we turn on the news, no longer do we see a simple reporting of what's happened. We see some people telling us how to understand what has happened. And that telling is the right telling. Doesn't matter what channel you're on. Doesn't matter which side you fall on. That's the way it's working. When we look at advertisements, we see people telling us the right way to live in this world. 
And then in order to have the best life, you need to do all of these things, which includes, surprise, surprise, buying their products. And the thing is, is that you and I, as consumers, as humans in this culture, we live into that just unknowingly because we're not intentional about stepping back from it. And because we live into that, because we are a part of this culture, because it takes so much work to step back from the culture, we become people, instead of being bridge makers and peacemakers, we become people of division. People who cause pain in the lives of others simply because what we believe is right. And so today we're going to look at this idea of having the last word because the reality is no, regardless of whether or not I have the last word, you have the last word, we don't get the last word in this world. We are not the judge. The reality of Jesus ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father to be the judge is that you and I are off the hook. We are not in charge of deciding for ourselves or for others what is right. We are not in charge of deciding for ourselves or for others the best way to live that it looks just like us. No, that decision sits at the hand of Jesus. And with that comes a freedom from fear. Because one of the reasons that you and I want to have the last word is because we're afraid. We're insecure. I want to be right. I've been raised to believe a certain way. I've been raised to act a certain way. And I want to believe with everything that I am that everything that I know is the right way because that means I'm doing things right. You see, a lot of our judgment, a lot of our opinions, a lot of our attitudes are stoked by this fear that we have that we're not going to measure up or that we don't measure up. And so we put our expectations on others but in Jesus' place at the right hand of God, we are freed from that responsibility. It's not our job to sit as judge. It's the job of our Savior. And today we're going to look at what that means. We're going to look at these pieces of scripture, and we're going to look not only as what that means literally, but then also how to live into that as the body of Christ. So first, look at, let's look at what it means for Jesus to ascend into heaven. There's really three statements that happen here. Jesus ascended into heaven. Then Jesus sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and then Jesus will come to judge the quick and the dead. So let's start with Jesus ascending into heaven. What does that mean for us? We talked last week about the Holy Spirit and how before Jesus died, went to hell, was resurrected, you and I did not have the constant presence of God in our lives because God would fall upon people with the Holy Spirit once in a while, but only certain people and only at some times. But with Jesus ascending into heaven, that leaves the ability for the Holy Spirit to come and to reside in every single one of us in every moment of our lives. We get the counseling, we get the discernment, we get the wisdom of God with us in every moment, which before was not available, but Jesus had to ascend into heaven for that to happen. And in Jesus ascending into heaven, that gives you and I unbroken relationship with God, unbroken communion with our creator. We get to have a relationship with God that is bi-directional. Not only do we get to speak to God, but God will speak and move in us through the Holy Spirit. 
It's an amazing thing that happens. It's something that we don't really take advantage of in our everyday lives because we're looking to this world for wisdom instead of looking to the director who lives inside of us. We also, with Jesus ascending into heaven, now we're going to look at Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And when Jesus sits at the right hand of God, Jesus does that to secure our place in the kingdom of God. Without this, without Jesus as our mediator, we don't have a place before God. Because we're a broken humanity, every one of us, no matter how good you are, no matter how well you've lived your life, no matter how few sins you've committed compared to the next guy, none of us are holy enough of ourselves to stand in the presence of God. As Jesus ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the fear of death is finally removed. It's not the last word. So many people in this world think that death is the final outcome, that death is the end, but it's not the end. Death no longer has the final word because of the work of Jesus for us. When Jesus ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, Jesus becomes an heir of God. And with Jesus at the right hand of God, we become co-heirs with Christ. And that's where you see this work in Romans 8. Paul is saying to the Romans that if you are led by the Spirit, if you have accepted Christ into your life, then you indeed are a child of God resurrected with Jesus, that you indeed are children and co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be an heir with Christ? Can you imagine being an heir of the kingdom of God that you get to inherit all that Jesus inherits? You get to be a minister like Jesus is a minister. And one of the things that we need to understand about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God is that Jesus is God's representation in the kingdom of God in heaven. But you and I become the representation of God and Jesus in this world. You see, God is not singularly interested in salvation. Christianity, for hundreds of years now, has put its whole focus on us sharing the gospel so that people would be saved, and we end the story there. But God's interest, Jesus' interest, is not simply about salvation and not simply about us getting to heaven. What are the three things that we've talked about many times here that Jesus tells us we must do in his absence? We must love God with all our heart, mind, and strength. We must love our neighbors. Does anywhere in there say anything about us judging others? Does anywhere in there say anything about us bringing people to salvation? So many of us in the Christian world want to go love others so that they'll come to church. We want to go love others so that they'll find a relationship with God. And if they're not doing those things, then we turn our backs and walk away from them. We want to love others with an agenda. But that's not what scripture tells us. As Jesus is in heaven with the kingdom of God, you and I are left with the responsibility of caring for God's creation because the kingdom of God is not just some place that we're going to. It's something we get to live in right now in the present. And when I look around, I do not see what I think God would say is the kingdom of God. I see brokenness. I see hurting. 
I see pain. I see things that I don't think I have a chance of fixing. But the reality is, is that because you and I look at a world that's broken and say, we can't fix that, what we do instead is tell everybody what we think should be happening through our opinions and our last words. Instead of doing what we've been asked to do, which is to love all of God's creation. All of God's creation. You see, only certain people get to be co-heirs with Christ, and those are the people who accept God into their lives. But every creation of God, every human on the face of the planet, whether they were born in Palestine or Mexico or Russia, every human on the face of this planet was created in the image of God just like you, just like me. Every human was created in the image of God with the hope that the love of those who accept Christ would show them who God is, would bring them home into a right relationship. And then next to that, the third statement is that we would help them become disciples of Christ. The point is not that we tell people what is right and wrong. The point is that we love this earth and God's creation with so much fervor that people can't help but understand that God is real. The next thing that we see here is that Jesus is the one who judges the quick and the dead. Well, I bet you're wondering what the quick means, right? I had to look that up once because I was like, I don't understand that. Quick means living. It simply means that Jesus judges the living and the dead. And it's so interesting to me because you might not have understood this, but it's not God who sits at the throne on those final days and judges your life. It's our Savior. It's Jesus. Jesus himself says, as he's talking to all of the Pharisees, explaining the kingdom of God, he says that the Father judges no one. The Father judges no one. But it's the Son, the Son, who does all of the judging. There's so much for us to understand here. So much. First of all, it gives us freedom because you and I, guess what? We don't have to judge anymore. We don't have to choose who gets to be a part of the party. Not my job. Not my job. Not your job. Not the job of Facebook. Not the job of Instagram. Not the job of Fox News. Not the job of CNN. It is not the job of any of those people to judge who's going to end up at the final banquet. It's the job of Jesus. And Jesus is uniquely qualified for this work because, and this is important, because Jesus came and lived life on earth as a human. Jesus came and suffered like we suffer. Jesus came and learned to be obedient unto death, just like we're asked to be obedient. Because Jesus has experienced life as a human, because Jesus has suffered as a human, because Jesus had to be obedient as a human, Jesus knows what it's like for us on this life. So that when we are being judged, when our life is being looked at, it's not somebody who doesn't understand what we've gone through. It's somebody who's intimately been there. Jesus is uniquely qualified to be a judge. Because not only did he have to live a human life, he did it perfectly. He did it without sin. And so as we hit that mercy seat, 
as our life is being reviewed by our Savior, we can know that it's being done with love and grace and compassion, and we can also know that Jesus' word is good. Jesus, as judge, frees you and I to be in relationship with others in such a way that our humanity can get out of the way. In Hebrews 2, and I included this whole section because it's so important for us to understand, when I think about this world and how broken we are, when I think about Christianity and how broken Christianity is, when I think about people who call themselves believers and the witness that we put out into the world, I wonder how in the world is God okay with mankind? And I sympathize with the statement in Hebrews 2 that says, what, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? How does God even love us? How does God even care for us? How is it that I, me, the person who loves to have the last word, the person who is a reformed, you know, recovering, meaning I haven't got it all figured out, know it all, how am I going to stand in front of God? How is my life good enough? And the reason why we can be certain the reason why we can have peace knowing that at the end of our life we're going to be okay is because of Jesus on that mercy seat. You see, Jesus calls each one of us brother, sister, sibling. Jesus stands before us and makes us right before God. And that's the place where we need to put our trust. That's the end of Hebrews. It says, in, them, in him I will trust. So what does that look like? How does that translate to our everyday lives? How do we understand that Jesus is our kingly priest, that you and I are co-heirs with that priest, that judge? What does that look like in everyday life? Well, I'll tell you that there's a lot of people who want to describe to us what God will accept and what God will not accept. There's a lot of people who want to describe to us what is good and what is bad. And I'm not saying that we don't have, that we're not allowed to have opinions. I'm not saying that it's um, unimportant to study the Bible and try and figure out what it is that God is saying through Scripture. That's all important. But what we need to understand when we're doing that is that our understanding is not the final word. Is that our understanding is meant to grow us into being better light bearers of the image of God in a world that desperately needs us, so that the kingdom of God can come now on earth as it is in heaven. I know that I believe a lot of things about scripture. I've studied scripture a lot. I have opinions. But if I use those opinions to cre create division between me and other people, then I'm not being a light bearer. I'm not being a peacemaker. I'm not being a bridge builder. And our job today is to pray that God would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and minds so that we can see the way that God sees. So that we can see others the way that God sees others. Jesus came and lived on this earth. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus came into a place that was as politicized as this world is. Jesus came into a time where people were as sinful as we are now. And what did Jesus do? Did, create, did he create division? Now, he built bridges between those who were them and those who consider themselves us. He built bridges with people who had been ostracized and stigmatized in the world. 
And as image bearers of our God, that is what we are called to do also. We're not called to have the last word. We're called to be image bearers of Christ in such a way that we are building bridges between God's love, God's holiness, and a world that is broken and hurting. We're not called to create pockets of us and them in our lives, although we all have them. I have them. Unintentionally, I still have groups of people in my mind that if I really was forced to think about it, they would be in the them category. All of those people that I think are small-minded and not representing God, guess what? I'm putting them in a them category. And then there's us, who are about love and happiness. You saw it. You guys are love and happiness. You guys are bad. But we are meant not to create division, not to create this aisle. We are meant to create bridges, to, to bring love to all people, all of God's creation, regardless of what we think about them. When we say this statement, that Jesus ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God, and shall come to judge the quick and the dead, what we are saying is that you and I recognize our space in this world. And our space is not as judge, our space is as peacemaker. Our space is not as judge, our space as is, is as lover of people of God. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, what I encourage you to go and ask yourself today, is to have God come into your heart and soul and show you where you've created pockets of us and them. And to help you become a reformed recovering, know-it-all. This world doesn't need more people who know everything. This world needs more people who are willing to love regardless of what we believe. Trusting that Jesus is going to work it all out in the end. Because Jesus is judge, not us. Let us pray. God, I thank you for taking the burden of judging away from us. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and souls to show each one of us where it is we are creating groups of us and them. And then help us to tear down those walls between us and them so that we can see every person we've put in the them category as somebody who was uniquely created by you on purpose. And that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to love, to love those that we have a hard time loving, to love those that we have a hard time understanding, to love those who our culture and our upbringing makes it hard for us to love. God, help us to be true image bearers of your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, and your love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.